coming up on another exciting episode of That Was a Show. The year was 1987, and comedies about multiple straight men raising children together and acting domestic was all the rage. That year saw the movie Three Men and a Baby, the start of Full House. But wait, there was one more lesser-known show to hit the airwaves, My Two Dads. Starring Paul Reiser and Greg Evigan as the two dads, and Stacey Keenan as the daughter who enters their lives by surprise at the age of 12. Her mother passed away and left her to the care of these two men in her will, because one of them is the biological father, but nobody knows which one. Oh, and the judge who presided over allowing this to actually happen also becomes their landlord. Bryn, Aaron, and Barry marvel at what might actually be the most extreme New York loft they've ever seen on TV. <laughs> we grew up during peak sitcom, Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince, but those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time, some were cancelled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring... Bryn Burney. Aaron Yeager. And Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> oh, hey, look, it's Barry. It is. Hello. <laughs> How's it going, friend? It's going very well. It's the end of a long weekend, so, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, a long weekend here in, Just... in Canada. What, what kind of coffee you got going there, Barry? Uh, it's of... like a cold. It's like a cold brew with some form of chocolate in it. Nice. It's it's, it's a it's okay. It's a little watery. Oh, that's that's unfortunate. <laughs> Strong endorsement. Yeah. Uh yeah. So uh, we got a fun uh, fun show to explore today, guys. <laughs> Very uh, liberal use of the word fun. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided to cover um, my two dads. My Two Dads aired for three seasons on NBC from fall 1987 to spring 1990. Um, it was created by Danielle Alexandra and Michael Jacobs. Uh, Chuck Lorre was also a writer and producer in um, the series and kind of took over near the end. Uh, this story of two fathers is not a progressive and touching tale of queer parents. Uh, it's the opposite. <laughs> the premise revolves around the untimely death of Marcy Bradford and the inexplicable decision to leave her 12-year-old daughter in the care of two strangers. <laughs> they're not strangers, they're her fathers. Yeah, but, you well, know... Well, she's never met them. Yeah, but true. But she's <laughs> just... They're just by a lot... They, she, she knows one of them is the father, but... Right. But which one? But what we're yeah. saying is that they're strangers to her at the start All right, of I this I, sad... I derail. I, I'm sorry. I derailed you there. You just go back Let in and I'll, I'll sit quiet. I'll sit quiet. No, just go backwards. I'll sit quiet. Okay. The premise revolves around the untimely death of Marcy Bradford and the inexplicable decision of her to leave her 12-year-old daughter in the care of two strangers. 
The two dads, played by Paul Reiser and Greg Evigan, were involved in a love triangle with Marcy in the summer of 1974, which resulted in the conception of Nicole, played by Stacey Keenan. Until Marcy's death, the two guys, Michael and Joey, didn't know Nicole existed at all. So the whole thing is a big problematic surprise. Ultimately, Michael and Joey decide to move in together to raise Nicole. They're definitely an odd couple with Michael being an ambitious yet neurotic yuppie and Joey being an offbeat artist. Nicole is a precocious preteen who predictably teaches the guys how to grow up. (laughs) The supporting cast includes Florence Stanley as Judge Margaret Wilbur, who, sidebar, is the same character from Night Court, uh, who kicks off the whole custody arrangement and later becomes their landlord. Because sitcom logic. (laughs) Also in the mix are Nicole's pals, played by Chad Allen, Amy Hathaway, and young Giovanni Ribisi during his Vani Ribisi era. There are also a bevy of blondes that cycle in and out as the dad's love interests. I chose this sitcom because I don't know if any of us actually watched it as kids. Hell no. Uh, But we are (laughs) familiar with a lot of the cast. Um, and despite it having three season, a three season run and being sort of a quasi night court spinoff, it didn't really have a significant pop culture impact, putting it, in my opinion, firmly in the forgotten category. Uh, for this podcast app, we watched the pilot and episode 10 of season three, which was the final season. All right. Uh, I was on board for watching this show because of Paul Reiser. Yeah. Because I usually really like Paul Reiser. And this yeah. this was like, I don't know, a minute before Mad About You, probably. And um, he basically walked. Ri- I feel like he walked right off the set of Aliens yeah. into this movie, like yeah. wearing the same suit. Huh. Yeah. Huh. And then walked right out of this show and into into Mad yeah, About he's You. In, yeah. He's in a bad sweaters by the end of the show. So yeah. right, right into Mad About You. Same, yeah. same network and probably just like across yeah. the hall in a, in a neighboring studio. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. can you can probably tell by you know I did maybe a little bit too much uh, editorializing in my description. <laughs> I just really yeah, it wasn't exactly a back of the DVD case. No, 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 it, it was not. I just really found it like disturbing the way the whole thing went down. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it might be a bit disturbing. It's also to me above above everything else, stupid. Like it yeah. is like you said, sitcom logic. This is we we often comment on sitcom logic when it comes to specific plot points or yeah. characters. This is sitcom logic in the fundamental premise of this show. This is such a stretch that a scenario like like one of my notes was basically that we have covered shows that involve supernatural beings, aliens, time travel, things like that. This somehow felt more unlikely to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And to be clear, it's not that I doubt the ability of two men coming together to like raise this girl. It's just that there was no it seemed like there was no vetting of these guys and she had never met them. Maybe she was told that her biological father was one of these two guys by her mother growing up. We didn't really get that backstory in the episodes that we watched. 
So maybe she had a sense that there were these two guys out there, but like she had never met them. And she's going through this horrible time in her life where she just lost her mother. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to try to express this point as succinctly as I can, because I know we were discussing this when we yeah. watched the show together. But I don't understand how you can thread the needle that she did not want to know which of these men was the biological father or to have any contact with either of them for this girl's entire life up until this point for 12 years. They've both never left New York. I'm sure they're in the phone book. And I don't understand how there's a world in which she had no desire to have any contact with them for that many years, yet thought, I'm going to entrust my daughter to their care. Like it just, that that's the only uh, as bad as it up. sounds that's the only part that really gave me the biggest pause because like i was like well clearly these people were big in her life she knows one of them's the father she knows they're weirdly make up one one man together yeah uh so i get you know leaving you know the daughter to what is assuredly her biological father but yeah i don't get like having zero contact and being comfortable doing that like yeah, yeah. Zero. the girl zero. you know like nicole being thrown into this situation whatever you know i've seen that in movies in movies and stuff before you know you you meet your father after your but still like eh, yeah them not having any connection during their life is weird yeah i mean it's like you don't send a child off with two like you know random adults it's not like a foster situation or an adoptive situation where those people have been vetted and have been you know there is like Mm -hmm. a whole process like these guys had no interest in raising a child and like at that point at least and like had no like there's no way to know that you can trust them no and (laughs) and, and furthermore you know there's a lot of like dialogue especially in the first episode that seems to imply that she was like for each of these guys like the greatest love of his life that mm-hmm. she, that it was some sort of you know love triangle thing she couldn't decide between the two of them or she was carrying on these like love affairs with both of them whatever but like clearly each of them had this like torrid affair with her mm-hmm. during some summer and yet they all ghosted each other like total smoke bomb gone right after whether they mm. ghosted her or she ghosted them we don't know but <laughs> for whatever reason well, none of these people sought any contact with each well, other the point that i yet ma- they claim it was such an important relationship offline you and i had a very brief discussion about this about how okay yes it doesn't make any sense to us but back then if you like the idea was i think they were on summer break so they were students so they were young and they were having like a fun summer and they got involved in this fling and this love triangle. And then they went back to college. And like back then in 1974, when that was supposed to take place, the only way to keep in contact is like a phone book or writing letters or whatever. And maybe they didn't have reliable contact info for each other because they were all just students like living like shitty student lives in the 70s. You know, you couldn't just look for them online. You couldn't just like Google them 
or find them on social media. Sure, sure. And that's and that would be plausible if not yeah. for the second part of the equation, which is that after 12 years of of her thinking, yeah. nah, nah, I don't need to go and go to any great lengths to reconnect with these guys. Yeah. But, but I'm going to leave my daughter to them in my will. Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing that stinks <laughs> about the whole thing. Like, I mean, obviously, like we can, you know, if you really think about it, you know, she gets pregnant and it's not a great circumstance because she's you doesn't know who is the father. So she probably just wanted to just move on with her life and raise the kid. And her plan was probably just to raise um, Nicole on her own and, you know, like not worry about it because that was like a messed up situation that she was in and didn't want to like. You know, but then unfortunately she died. And and I don't know if we ever find out how she died or what happened. Did you guys pick I got up the, on that? I, yeah. yeah, I got the impression that the show was kind of slowly doling out the information. So right. I think okay. just watching the pilot was probably, probably a bit not of a disservice. Yeah. Um, and then the other episode we watched didn't really count. It was kind of like only a, it was yeah. like a quarter of an episode anyway. So yeah. like, and we'll get yeah, to that. We'll get one. to <laughs> that. I chose it for a specific reason. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we can yeah. we can keep beating the dead horse that is this premise. But <laughs> I, I, yeah, I w- I'd say we have to move on past it. I would say like because it didn't bother me as much as you guys because I just sort of like I was I was mildly annoyed that it was the premise, <laughs> but I was like, all right, well, I got to watch this show, so okay, I, I couldn't yeah. spend that much time right. going I don't know. off. I would say the problem with it is that the show goes out of its way to make it not work. Yeah, like right. if they were just if if the show didn't put so much effort into telling us how ridiculous this was it wouldn't seem as ridiculous. Like yeah. if the show didn't go out of its way to be like, nobody's talked, nobody's seen each other. Nobody knows who the father is. Yeah. Like if, if, if the mom knew who the father was uh, and didn't want, and didn't say, or something like that, yeah. some kind of, you know, you can have a mystery or whatever BS that, that's better than just being like, no, none of this makes sense. And like, I hated that the show went out of its way just to kind of do it. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, the show doesn't let you forget the setup yeah. of this. All f- and I mean, let's <laughs> not forget that, like, less than like what a year later, the the premise of this was successfully duplicated to much greater results with Full House. So right, yeah. I mean, except, that is except the way, it's three. Yeah, it's three dads. But that's the way that you do that. Like, yeah. you know, like not to give Full House too many flowers, but that is how you do that. That is how, a touching way. To explain how men can like raise like, you know, yeah, Full House. Uh, I I don't count myself as a huge fan of Full House. Yeah. I watched it as a kid, but I agree. Full House. If you're gonna do that, it's the way you do that. Where it's like one of those guys is clearly the father and was in the children's lives, and but you know, and these close family friends, uh, family a close family friend who's basically an uncle and and an actual uncle. Yeah. Help him raise the kids. And those girls have met him be- them before. Yeah. Those girls know them and already have an existing relationship that gets strengthened in a lovely way yeah. by them helping to raise them. You know, it's yeah. two, two men raising a child. Hilarious. Hilarious. Three, men, three men raising a child. Classic. Classic. Well, isn't that like the three men in the baby series? Like, or not series, uh, but the series of movies. Isn't well, it the same two thing? Men, it's three men and a baby and three men and a little lady, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. One, of, one of the best sequel names ever. But 
Yeah. But I think the late 80s and early 90s. That was like a weird popular it, trope I, I at the think, time. Uh, here's my theory. At that time, it was a weird popular trope to portray stories of like women entering the workplace. And I yeah. think the counterbalance to that in their minds, like the other side of the coin was like men being domestic, being domestic or, or stay-at-home yeah. dads. Or like, having to actually be nurturant. Yeah, so they're like, isn't, Which, it, isn't it funny that women are in the corporate world? Isn't it funny that men are staying at home and raising kids? Yeah. Like, I think that well, was sort of the 1987 exactly. trend. Exactly, and it, that's like a very toxic thing to make like a joke about, because clearly there were some, like many dads out there you know, even if they were like, like, you know, you don't know what everyone's household was like, but there were probably lots of actually nurturant dads out there in the 80s. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there were pro like, you know, there's probably some absent ones that just yeah. spent all their time <laughs> in the office. But, you know, there was also yeah. like some that were like being good and yeah. nurturant parents. But anyway, to, to dig into the nitty gritty of the execution of this show, if we if we put aside yeah. The premise, and we just look at okay, how did they execute on this premise? I have to say, this cool loft took cool loft too far. I'm dying yeah, well, to know he, your thoughts, Barry. <laughs> oh, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, and even like I think the show knows it because even even the teenage girl is unimpressed by <laughs> by she's, this massive loft with this whack. Yeah, she's like, all right, I'm 13. This is a lot. Yeah, even yeah. when she when she finds out that he's an artist, she's like, "Oh, I mean, I guess that kind of explains some of this." Like she literally <laughs> says, uh, "You're poor. You have to live like this." And meanwhile, it's a massive place in in New York. Yeah, I mean, we've discussed in the past how sitcoms it never makes any no, sense. Sitcoms seemed to think that two thousand square foot, two story Manhattan lofts were for poor people. Yeah, that was never the case. But um, sure, I'm I'm going to take <laughs> if I may, I, I'm going to take a brief diversion. OK, here, go for it uh, and say that there are two things that I specifically quite liked about this show. OK, uh, that really uh, one, you know, just a normal uh, out of the three, you know, let's just call them the title characters. Uh, Stacey Keenan is 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 the better of all three of them. Yeah, she has obviously she the yeah. she had most of the bet like her character was the only one that had, you know, some some great zingers. <laughs> yeah. Uh she very well performed and a very interesting child character. Yeah. Uh and then two was uh and I uh, Florence Stanley I I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Like I loved the judge oh, character. Oh, she was the judge. Yeah. 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 I I was so yeah. glad to see uh that she's that they they figured out a way to make her wedge like, her in, their, yeah. They, well, because she ends up being their landlady, which yeah. is a preposterous way to for her to well, be part they, of their lives. Well, they but just I'm glad they that know, she was there. They know she they know she worked right. So right. like they've clearly in episode two they work at that she owns the building, <laughs> uh, and I and I thought that was quite funny. Um, now I I'll, I will say it just because I ended up looking her up and I was like oh she had quite a very storied career right yeah so. This wasn't a spinoff of Night Court. Yeah. No. Her character all was on this show, and then they did a little like, oh, and then we could have her on Night Court for an episode to promote this show. 
Oh, so I misinterpreted yeah. it. So it's a yeah, crossover. Yeah, yeah. It's a crossover. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and that was like, I, I think in the third season, it looks like. Hmm. Right. Uh, for, for this. So okay, she kind so it's of. It's not a spinoff. Sorry, guys. That's my first, uh, you know, flub yeah. that I'll admit on, um, on the but mic. But she, she, she. She uh she worked for me in a, in ways that almost all of them didn't. I mean, Paul Reiser specifically, I find just he's like intolerable in this. Like he he is <laughs> yeah, like he's incredibly he's incredibly mean spirited and like yeah, you just want like you just like just give him to the other dad, just just give her to the other yeah. dad. Like he loves her. He's trying his best. Uh, and the other one is just actively like he's only there to give the other guy shit. I thought, like, you know, it was pretty sweet that immediately the Joey character took yeah. her, like, he took a, an interest in raising her, but he was in over his head because he can barely take care of himself, basically, yeah. that's the idea, yeah, well, and he's way too whimsical, uh, you know, but... It's like, you know, it was sweet, but it felt a little unmotivated. Like, I had a hard time believing it. But then I was like, all right, well, it's kind of cute, though. And then, you know, Michael's just, you know, oh, I don't want to. And they spent so much time talking about how this whole situation was just going to affect their lives. And, yeah. and there was no like intense conversation about how tragic this situation is, which should well, be the first no, topic. No, well, no, they, they it, it comes into the last act. She she has a breakdown about her mother yeah. dying and then and it is a dramatic moment. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that was I, I needed that moment because I kept thinking like this fucking yeah. poor yeah. girl. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, moment yeah. was necessary. I OK, so. I also found Paul Reiser's character, Michael, insufferable, but I often do though. So I this think is, this is a me I thing. I mean, he's as Jamie Buckman, you know, he's I, he's great, but you know, I feel like the the or not Jamie Buckman. He's no, he's which but she's Paul, Jamie Buckman. Paul. He's Paul. He's Paul Buckman. The, yeah, the shtick obviously is they are an odd couple. One of them is too playful and whimsical and fun, and one of them is all like by the book, buttoned down, and neurotic, all all business, neurotic, stern, serious, whatever. The problem is two wrongs don't make right. You can't take the idea that two guys who each on their own is only half capable of being a decent father and putting them together doesn't equal one decent father. It equals two shitty fathers. So it, that's, it equals like big therapy bills for yeah. her later in so life. That's my one like, problem. <laughs> but also, I although yeah, sure, uh, Joey immediately took a liking to the idea of of being a dad. I don't think that means it's responsible to just give him this twelve year old girl. And that was your reaction, Bryn, when we were watching yeah. it. Was like if a grown ass man is just yeah. like, yes, I'm immediately without asking any follow-up questions going to take this girl home with me everyone should be like whoa why are you so enthusiastic about yeah, this yeah whereas like you do you I do have, have to yeah you I, do have to get past the premise at some point guys. But my point is everything that <laughs> it's hard but everything that michael was I saying was a 12 year old girl once but, it, it, but i have to just say to finish this point everything that Paul Reiser's character was saying in yeah. the pilot yeah were rational things to say and the fact that he was kind of an ass about his tone doesn't change the fact that he was the one who was like, um, 
shouldn't we be like thinking this through more? Isn't there a lot of like questions and decisions to be made here? Like we're not just walking out of this lawyer's office with With this child, with this minor. (laughs) So the fact that he was the only one, including the lawyer, the judge, the mother who put them in the wheel, the only person there, the only adult who was like, um, shouldn't we take a beat and think this through? (laughs) That does make him the ultimate most responsible one. But again, like he's also insufferable. So I don't know. There's if, like one... if I may argue one thing about this <laughs> sure, show is sure. you got okay. This show is on for three three seasons. Yeah, uh, you know, almost I I don't know seventy episodes something like that. If we had not watched the pilot and we watched episode three or four or yeah. five, where this was already a premise, yeah. right? You wouldn't you wouldn't care. Yeah, because yeah, the prim- once it gets yeah. going, it's just about them parenting and all that, and and that was how I th- that's how the show survived. Because I think if people tuned into this pilot, <laughs> it would have been canceled immediately. Yeah. Yeah. but generally people probably were okay. picking up in a, in episode three and four, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, this is kind of so, cute. These two guys are raised a little." I'm <laughs> yeah. So fine, we'll get past the premise. Now let me rant about the Joey character who seemed to be doing some sort of Fonzie from Happy Days thing. Because between his loft, which literally looked like the diner from Happy Days, like a 1950s drive-in diner, and his whole like, hey, oh, uh, and, and like everything he was doing in his performance was like, it was like Tony Danza in Who's the Boss meets Fonzie. Yeah. Yet he's supposed to be cartoonish. this like whimsical modern artist, but it was like, ugh. I, I, just, I enjoyed it. It was so I, over the top. I, I enjoyed him. Um, yeah, I'd love to just like mention a few of the items in the um, the the loft. Please like, do. So there was like paint us a picture. I feel like okay, and I feel like some of this decor is like a trope of the eighties. It was like a lot of like outdoor things that were indoors. Like a, there was like a traffic light as a decoration. There was. A um, was there a jukebox? Probably. Yes. Yeah. There was a juke. There was a jukebox. There, there was a payphone. There was a payphone. Yeah, another outdoor thing. Uh, there was a bed in the middle of the room that was like a fake bed that, you know, on top it just looked like a made bed, and then you flipped it open, and that was the actual bed that you slept on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a giant car. Couch. Shaped couch, yeah, that looked like a 1950s truck. Yeah, but these were his these were his pieces. I mean, yeah, that's what he did. That's true. what he did. For, that's what he did for a living. He made these uh, yeah, avant garde yeah. furniture pieces for, pe- for, yeah. for people. I just I I'm confused as to why, kind of like what Aaron was saying, like why he was such a like Tony Danza dude and not more of a like, oh, I'm this like new wave kind of guy yeah. like he didn't I'm come this... across as arty he came across as just like macho like assistant manager at a gym well maybe yeah. it was kind of maybe it was kind of they were playing with your your expectations yeah, there maybe. a little because he wasn't they a typical were, he artist was type. layered sure oh, yeah he was he was a mimbo but yeah. he was a he was a mimbo but he had a lot of he seemed to have a lot of different sides to him because right. he had he had that very 
very quick acting, nurturing side. He was an artist. He had, yeah. I think, in an yeah, like right. there's a version of this character that isn't this character, and supervising producer Chuck Lorre yeah. would just inflicted upon audiences <laughs> for 12 years. Yeah. This show this show is two and a half men. Oh, it basically oh, is, good isn't it? God, yeah. yes, it is. It is. This yeah. is a proto but two and a half men. It is. Clearly also. Chuck Lo- clearly Chuck Lorre, the the aspects of the show he liked were the premise, but he didn't <laughs> like any of them being redeeming human beings. So yeah, that yeah, was exactly. so uh, yeah. Mm. Um yeah, I mean the so I I kind of wish I watched more episodes, but I'm like didn't want to spend my time doing that. Uh, <laughs> but like there is, you know, when I was like reading a little bit about it on like IMDb and whatnot, it does say that like it ultimately ends with Joey like leaving and moving to San Francisco to be with uh, another woman and her kid. Well, it was just a it was a cliffhanger. And they got can they got canceled. Yeah, but I'm like the idea that he would just like leave her in another se- like that's like he's the first one to like want to raise her, and then he's just like kind of like smoke bombs out of her life. Like that's so sad. Right, but he would have. But he would have been back in the next episode. Right, but it was also acknowledged. It's not. He wasn't. He wasn't leaving the show. They they got canceled. Maybe, but also <laughs> you guys take this so seriously. Right the, but one of the th- I don't know why I'm taking such a tender approach with this. I don't know why. There's something about it. <laughs> I know we're it. taking it so seriously. There's something about it that's triggering me, and I don't know what but it is. Also, Michael, one of his complaints about Joey in the first yeah. episode is that Joey is super impulsive and does all sorts of random things on whims. Right. And that mm-hmm. one of the reasons why he was so quick to jump at the idea of like sure, I'll be a dad, was for the novelty of it, not because yeah. he was truly going to be invested in the long-term care of raising a child, but it was just a thing to do. Right. That was the implication in the pilot, whereas in their odd couple thing, it's like Joey's very quick to jump headfirst into something without knowing what the consequences are, yeah. and, and Michael is the opposite, where he's like super reluctant to do anything because. He's he will instead like overthink it. So that's the whole. Yeah. Ooh, isn't it funny how they're opposites? But then at the end of the episode, they're both like blackout drunk together yeah. in a bed after and downing cheap that champagne. To the judge. Weak, they're weak like, sauce. We, <laughs> weak sauce. I mean, it's one bottle of champagne. Yeah. yeah Come but, on, guys. But but like the fact that the judge walks in and they like admit this to her. They're like, yeah. yeah, we just passed out from drinking all night. Like, yeah, we really should be in charge of this kid. Yeah. Suitable. Very suitable. <sighs> oh, man. Oh, my God. But didn't God. she say in some weird joke how she became a judge? Oh, yeah. Like, she made some joke about how she, like, basically slept her way to the top, which was just said with a wink. So, you know. But uh, <laughs> the whole opening scene was—it was so weird. weird. The whole thing was it, it, weird. It's—it's—it's—it's it, it, it's, it's, like it's a fever extra- dream. <laughs> it's an extraordinarily bad pilot. I will say this: it's, it's yeah. one of the—it's one of the worst pilots I've seen. I would like—I—I I think from the energy I got between the three of them or the four of them, I would probably have liked to have seen a little bit more. Right. Uh, I, I like to see this show when it was working. Because I bet yeah. it was at, it, for most parts. Uh, I just think it's a really it, bad pilot. Yeah, it's a, I, it's a really bad pilot. And then, like, w- 
we I don't know if we're ready to transition, but I mean, y- your your choice for a second episode was odd. So I know it was it was so basically, yeah, I chose a uh, an episode. I wanted to do an episode in season three, the final season, because that's how I like to choose the episodes when they have yeah, a couple yeah. seasons. I like to kind of bookend it. Right. But instead of going with the last episode aired. I found this one in the list of episodes that was basically a bottle episode and a clip show. So I chose that because I thought uh, we've never really done a clip show, which was like a big, big trope back then uh, in the 90s and the 80s. Uh, And I thought maybe it would give us an overall flavor of the show. So that was... (laughs) It might have. Yeah. So that was sort of my thinking. But now I'm kind of like, I regret it. I don't regret it, but I also sort of regret it because I thought, oh, we probably should have watched a regular format episode to get, you know. But I wanted to see what kind of overall themes kept popping up yeah, in you, this show. You throughout a sample its platter. I did. I wanted a sample platter, which is what now, you get from a clip show. For some of our for some of our younger listeners, yeah. uh, clip shows are 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 not very common things done anymore. Anymore, uh, yeah. But in the eighties and nineties, and let's just maybe before, but it was really popular in the eighties and nineties uh, to meet a quota, often to bump themselves into syndication numbers. Shows would often put together a clip show, and one of the uh, one of the, the the base requirements was there had to be a, a minimum amount of new footage incorporated. Right. Uh, and that's why in this one, you just get three of them sitting or like two of them sitting in an elevator for the yeah. whole episode. Uh, and then they're allowed to just do whatever they want. Friends did it all the time. Yeah. Seinfeld did it a couple of times. The Simpsons very notably did it. And usually were actually the clip the clip show Simpsons episodes were, we're usually epic. pretty good. Yeah. Uh so this is weird. This is weird to see one of these because I haven't seen one in a long in time. In a long time. So I thought it would be a fun little treat. And like, you know, it's chock full of tropes. Like the getting trapped in an elevator is a huge trope for, you know, TV and movies. And specifically, and I don't have a good enough memory to cite an exact reference, but I know for certain that I've seen at least one other clip show where the new footage, so to speak, involved characters trapped in something. I don't think it was necessarily an elevator, but it might have been like... There's always that, where people get locked in a room and they have to wait for a long time. And like the idea with this one is... You're reminiscing while locked in some... Yeah, so basically they're recollecting you know, pivotal moments of their time together raising Nicole. And and so that's what is like leading to the clips. Yeah. Now, at this point, we're about 50 episodes deep in this series when they made this Mm -hmm. clip show, give or take 50, 60 episodes deep. So we are to assume that the clips that they show are among the best out of 50 plus episodes. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. And... I mean, I don't know about that. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes I think choo- yeah. it is they choose things based on the thematic yeah. things that they're gonna pull. You know, okay, but still, it's a, it's a, it's a sampling. I think, yeah, I, of- I think, I think you're, you're, you're definitely misunderstanding in that these were just these were write off episodes. They didn't care what clips they were using in them. Yeah, they, these were never intended to be showcases of the show. Okay, well, yeah. Even if these clips were not the best scenes ever, let's say where they were average scenes from throughout the series. 
just as a smattering of samples. Yeah. These were so cheesy. It was so cheesy. It, but it was like a very good example of what these sitcoms yes, were. It was like, a very prototypical you know, clip show. You got to was, see a yeah. lot of the type of humor that was popular at the time and the types of big performances and big, you know, like it, 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 was, it was pretty. And, and like, how good? Sorry. Can we just like call out how incredible the opening sequence is in this third season? Well, I, it's so funny because like the I animation. Had noticed, they, had, they had gone through so many opening sequences by that point because like yeah. I caught I randomly was flipping through and I saw like four other opening wow. sequences. I love it. Well, I, but this one was so good. I loved the animation. Was, I loved it. It was like just. Th this was the freeze frames they yeah. were doing? Yes. The yeah. free, the, this was the craziest. And the animation, si right? Yeah. Silliest, yeah. zaniest. I was wailing with laughter. We were laughing. This, yeah. Was, yeah. this was if a sketch comedy show was, was parodying and making fun of. A sitcom of that era. An yeah. 80s sitcom and just going as hard as they could to make sitcoms of that era look foolish and cheesy. This was the most extreme, over the top, the Chiron effects, the titling, the music. Ev oh my, oh, wow, wow. It was a pleasure to watch. Yes. I was like very entertained. So entertaining. It, if nothing else, anyone listening to this, even if you don't want to watch this series or watch a whole episode, do yourself a favor if you can find it. Watch the opening titles of a of of this season three episode ten episode, yeah, or it's probably fun. any season three episode. Just watch those opening. Oh my god! Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. funny. Uh, I, it, I would, a personal recommendation to both of you guys. I would recommend watching uh, the opening titles to episode two. Okay. Of the okay. Show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we might have because there's there's a little bit. Of, yeah, it's uh, I. It's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty awesome. I did uh, I did just like enjoy <laughs> in general. Like the loft was ridiculous, but I liked the weird choices. Like the I liked like kind of seeing new details every time. Like I really liked his kitchen island, how it was like yeah. the bright colors, and then there was like this little slot for dishes, and the dishes were very minimalist. And like I was like, oh, this guy's like really I, trying to do something here. I like you know? the. I liked the two uh, conjoining tables that had a, a bicycle uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. joining them together. So the wheels made up the tops of the tables and then there was a, a bike frame connecting the two of them. I thought it was a very fun set. Uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't really I, I didn't again, I wasn't really getting lost in like how the fuck they could live there. I was just like, what a, yeah. there's a lot of wacky shit in here it, I could look at. It was really distracting. Real like uh yeah. Uncle Mo's family feedback yeah. of like a yeah. of a like a lot of <laughs> lot of alligators wearing sunglasses. Exactly. Yeah. It was very distracting to me and it was <laughs> it was very whimsical, but like it was definitely a postmodern. Like his art style was that was the weird for the sake of weird that they make fun of on The Simpsons. Like it's just, it's the most. Aaron yeah. does not like whimsy in his sitcoms. I he won't stand for it. No. <laughs> I I like whimsical comedy when it has its place, but this is. This, I was, want them. I want them in a modest two bedroom. Yeah. Here's here's the thing. I like when 
is the opposite of incongruous just congruous? Congruity, congruity, congruity. I like to see. That doesn't. I like to see. I like to see. Let's just let him. Let's just see where this goes, Barry. I like it. I like. I like to see congruity. Sync, whatever. I like to see that the character and their whole supposed image, uh, like, are in sync. So if he's, but it does fit Joey's character. No, I'm saying the the set. Yeah. Suits the idea that he is this artist. Yeah. But what I don't like is that his physical mannerisms and the way he talks feels wedged in there and it's different yeah. from the the he's supposed- a hunky he's a hunky artist. Like he's yeah. he's it, a it, it, it's he's not, macho. It's not That's the fa- okay. It's not the fact that he's macho and hunky. So I guess he's I, the hunky deadbeat dad with a yeah. a artistic twist. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. would have really helped me if I saw him like working on art. Like <laughs> if I saw him like do art. Maybe episode two. <laughs> maybe yeah, episode maybe. maybe even episode three. Yeah, Who knows? we we don't know. We, you know, Aaron, I think, you know, you're being a little hard on you're Joey the, now. You're in the weeds. You're in the weeds. You're in the weeds. <laughs> but. It's. Oh. Yeah. The way he would talk was so over the top. Yeah, he, it, it was he goofy. Was, he, who was, he was talking was like, cartoonish. A, like a character from West Side Story or Grease. Come on. Yeah. He's from out, straight out of the movie Grease or out of um But look, like let's happy what about, sitcom how about, from what the- about Kessler in in the pilot of Seinfeld? Right. Is he who who is who is Kessler and then Kramer, right? I mean, he's not he doesn't have it yet. It's just a pilot, right? Yeah. I Kessler wants yeah. to know if you got any meat. Yeah. I love that line. <laughs> I do. You got any but meat? he's not. My point is, is that he's uh, he is not the Kramer that you would know and love in that mm-hmm. episode. He he's he's on his way, but it takes yeah. him some time. So ra- <laughs> just random fun fact. Uh, Greg Evigan composed the theme song of my two dads and other music for season one. Is he responsible for the sassiest saxophone we've heard in a probably. long time? I guess so. I, that, uh, that, that would probably take that, the cake on that one. It yeah. was very sassy. sassy. It was yeah. maximum sass. Uh, yeah, I mean, there was just so many weird little things that I kept... I think because I wasn't a fan of the premise, I was just noticing all these other things that, you know were just silly about all the dressings of it all and like what everything like looked like. And like, I just like had this thought when they were eating that pizza, how gross that pizza looked and how did not look good. And how gross all sitcom pizza looks like. Have you guys ever thought about that? Really? Like it never looks appetizing. Well, it's because it's been sitting around all day. I know. I know. They're not. They're not getting it in. But they have to like take bites of it often. And that's like gross and i feel bad for them it reminded me of um i remember in high school getting pizza yes. once at a yes at a yes. wing machine pizza <laughs> at a wing machine in high school in the ni- <laughs> i was just thinking of, i was thinking of the pizza in our cafeteria in the late, just in the late 90s <laughs> yeah but that would work high school cafeteria pizza it looked cold it looked old it looked just it looked like I it think- was made the day before and had just been sitting out there as a yeah. prop I think from uh, a practical, I think from a practical standpoint, uh, 
with single camera, you can do a nice little insert of the food. You know, you got yeah. that. You and then you move on. But on a on a three camera, you're bringing it out. You're there all day. Uh, it's in the wide shots. You got no real point. It's just yeah. sitting there. There's nothing you can do. It's it, yeah. I would just you know I would just try to get away from putting pizza on on camera at that yeah, point. Yeah. But it was also a trope. Yeah. Everybody, you know. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and, and in the this the second episode we watched, another element of the this episode is that it's Thanksgiving. Do you know what I'm about to say? That turkey. Well, the turkey looked ridiculous. But what I wanted to point out was that there were when they were finally sitting down to eat, they were perfectly around one side of an egg like uh, oval shaped table. Yeah, and they were, it's they, were like, they were doing a last supper. Yeah, yeah they were doing yeah. a last, last supper. supper. I know that it's normal on a sitcom that all the characters have to be open to the camera and there's a fourth wall, but there was something about the layout of that room and the shape of that table. It looked so that, preposterous it, yeah, it, and uncomfortable. It really called attention to itself. It looked yeah, it really awkward yeah. and staged. Yeah. It was such a great like fake turkey yeah yeah, because like it was just like one of those things where like it was just i i want to say it was plastic yeah and it was just sitting there perfect in the middle of the table a high tv and movies and yeah i'm sure that some people do it but commonly you don't have the full uncarved turkey sitting at the table with you yeah exactly yeah animals <laughs> yeah, it never looks. It's a messy bird. You yeah. don't do it at the when table. When you actually eat, no matter how elegant your table settings are for like Thanksgiving dinner yeah. or any turkey dinner, it's never like perfectly uncarved <laughs> and garnished like in the middle of the table. At least Oof. not in any dinner like that I've ever attended. It's always like carved already. Yeah. And I don't believe kind anybody. Of- in this cast was capable of of preparing that fill that that food. No, no, no. Yeah, Not, like who made it? Who made it? Was it the judge? Like, is that it, the my, idea? That's the only. Yeah, but I mean, the, but I, she had spent the whole time getting the repair guy. So who who made it? Was that? already no. It's already on the table. It, it when right. we find out that they're stuck in the elevator, it's already on the table, right, ready right, to go. Right. Uh, uh, it's uh yeah and i will uh, sorry just skipping over the judge i do like that they have formed a family with her by the time that the yeah, show ends i mean i do like the general theme of like creating a family like you know like a found family and it's like technically one of these guys is her biological dad but ultimately the whole thing is a found family like it is so that is like a nice theme to explore in a sitcom. Sure, yeah, like, of course. But it is just, I don't know. It just and took the other, a lot. The other, yeah, the other girl lot. seems to be like Nicole's friend that is yes. like also sort of. Uh, and then the two other, the boys, the Vonnie and I, I swear to God might be lying, but I'm pretty sure the actor's name was Chad Allen. Chad Allen, yeah. Uh, he he they, was like the Dr. Quinn medicine woman kid. <laughs> the, so their their role in the show is they 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 have they're both competing for her affections yeah much like the two dads were competing for the mom's it, affections yeah. oh there's a lot uh, of love triangles it seems like they kind of reference like you know there's a couple of little clips they show where yeah. basically the implication is these guys keep falling for the same women like 
you kind know. of creepy when you when you do them back and forth like that. And you're yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. is goes beyond type, and this is like sort yeah. of like, yeah, yeah, this uh, is fetishizing. There was yeah, yeah. also, um, yeah, there were many tropes in this, yeah. like lots, but one of them. Uh, that I had to note was the whole leaving a videotape message for a child in case, like, they get it after your death trope. Yeah. Uh, where there was a clip of uh, Michael. Michael was, like, that was kind of funny. Giving, like, because he, he was 36. Yeah. So. Giving the, that like, was... life advice to. Yeah. yeah. It, I'm not so much judging whether the, like, whether that worked as a gag, but it's just, like, I find it interesting that that was also, like, done a lot, like, a lot of shows, like, a yeah, lot, yeah. a lot of shows. Have someone where it's like, oh, they either they they're either they think they're gonna die or they they usually it's not that they are actually sick or anything. It's more just like they become paranoid about their own mortality yeah. because of something that happens yeah. to someone else in their life. So suddenly they're like, oh my god, what if I'm not around to yeah. you know when she has her first you know her first kiss or her goes off to college or whatever and she grows up and she's not going to be I'm not going to see all these milestones in her life and da 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 so I have to uh you know leave this crazy parental guidance message where it's like giving the the daughter like advice on everything from like dating to marriage to school to whatever like all those all these like topics in a very I thought yeah. this was I thought this was a very funny version of that because it, it it implied that he had made many, many tapes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he was cross-referencing them with right. like, please refer to tape 26. Yeah, yeah that, like that, that, uh, is, that is funny. Very funny. Yeah. Funny version of that. I'm pretty sure I've seen that version of that joke before. I can't remember Probably. where. Probably. I but, mean, none of these. But another character that had a whole library of tapes on all sorts of different topics to be as comprehensive uh, I, as yeah. possible. I can't remember I who. I feel like a lot of these sitcoms, not all, obviously we've watched some during our time of doing this podcast that were highly original and we really enjoyed them. But like a lot of them were kind of just this like Mad Lib situation <laughs> where they all had their own premise and then you just sort of like repurposed a lot of the same type of humor and the same types of, of bits. But it was like you just kind of switched up the circumstances and switched up the characters saying it. So, you know, like these tropes existed for a reason. We call them out for a reason because they were just sort of like how they made these shows back then. You know, I don't know. But not again, not all, because obviously there were some that were so well written and some that were so like innovative. But yeah, I mean, a lot, a good majority of like mainstream sitcoms were like this and like even ones now that are like very mainstream are often like this, like, you know, like Chuck Lorre's sitcoms are very much like these like Mad Lib, like, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, very much so. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it was I think it was fun, you know, watching and covering these this this particular show just because of its sort of like okay this is very firmly like this is what you think of when you think of that era and mm -hmm. like you oh, think very of much so the, these sitcoms and and it's funny because it's not one that like we specifically grew up with because we were just a bit too young to be watching this and like it definitely at least nowhere 
like I can remember, did I ever see reruns of this playing? Yeah, this was, I don't recall this being in heavy syndication. They no. didn't make it. I mean, 100 wasn't always the rule for syndication, but it usually yeah. was a pretty yeah. good yeah. rule. So usually things hit the fifth season before you right. would see syndication. Right. And yeah, you're right. Like this was not something that popped up. Um, yeah, I watched a know. lot of sitcoms that would have been made at the same time as this. Yeah, um, but you likely were exposed to them just through the reruns. Maybe, but I, I mean, I was probably, I mean, I'm a couple years older than you. Like by, yeah, by the time this show ended in what, 89, 90? Yeah. 90, yeah. 90, and I was like sev- seven going on eight. Okay. I would have been watching you were old enough sitcoms to watch this on TV. Like I was probably watching, you know, episodes of something like Who's the Boss? Right. When that show was on, which was around the same time, but mm-hmm. like that was a better show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, like I don't know. This, this, it's funny because this has a lot of the mechanics of yeah. a successful show. It's got a lot of the like effort put into it. Like, it, yeah. it, it's not one of those things that feels like any of these are like we sometimes joke about a a, a show or especially a pilot feeling like oh is this just like they shot the first draft like and it feels mm-hmm. like half baked that yeah. wasn't the case here this felt like like adequate effort was put into making this mm-hmm. and the pilot had the energy and the pacing and the high speed banter of a fairly developed show i just thought it was like it was too hard for me to get past yeah. the the premise. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, but here's what I'll a positive thing I'll say again, like uh, like I said, I do enjoy the theme of sort of found family being explored. I think that it is like an important thing and like I actually we didn't see this in the episodes we watched, but apparently like ultimately there is like a falling out between the two guys which results in them seeking out an actual DNA test to prove the paternity and Nicole is upset about it. She doesn't want to know because like she has bonded for all intents and purposes. These are both her dads and she is at the point where it doesn't matter to her the like DNA of it all. Like she doesn't care. She is, which is a nice thing to like, you know, explore because those relation. there are a lot of people who deal with those situations uh, in life. And, you know, she doesn't want to know. And the only person who ultimately knows ends up being the judge, which is like another wild thing that, you know, she's that enmeshed in their life because she looks at the paper, but Nicole destroys it before the guy is can look at it themselves. And actually, she doesn't even look at it. She just rips it up or whatever, however she destroys it. So I don't know. I just kind of like that it ended that way and that she doesn't care ultimately because, you know, she and not to be too deep about it, all of this, but it's like, you know, it's kind of nice to see this person that strong in those convictions that okay i had 12 years of my life with my mom and now i have these two other parent like like parental figures and they're gonna be important to me no matter what so it doesn't like really matter you know yeah the Mm -hmm. officialness of it all yeah oh for sure yeah thematically 
I that I'm on I'm on board for yeah. all of that. Yeah. I just in watching the two episodes that we watched, didn't none none of yeah. that overcame the like silliness on the surface yeah. of like the so way these guys behave. It's one of those things where if you really want to get the full impact of it all, you probably would have to watch more. Yeah. But that means you would have to watch more. So. <laughs> yeah. Cash, it's a real cash swing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like you've sold me on, you've both sold me on the idea because I know I'm being particularly judgy about this show. You've both sold me I've on- I've been very judgy too. Yeah. Hey, I really didn't like how the whole- Thing kicked off. I didn't. I was yeah. very judgy you, and harsh about that. You both sold me on the idea that if I were to watch the whole series, maybe there's more to it than meets the eye. Yeah, but, or less, or, or less. But also, could I'm be less. just saying I don't have a. I didn't. I. I don't think I saw enough of this one to form a full opinion. Sure. Which is rare for some. Usually with me, I can't. I can get there a little quicker than yeah. this time. But this time, I'm like, I don't think mm -hmm. I. Yeah. And I you guess know? I feel like I may have not seen enough to have a full opinion on whether the the premise or the concept works or whether the characters work. But I do think I've seen enough to know that I just don't think it's funny. Yeah. I saw Promise, uh, but I also saw all the same terrible shit that Aaron saw and that Brent <laughs> saw. Cause, so. Yeah, because like at this point... I mean, maybe if I was eight years old, I would have been amused by some yeah. of these scenes. I but... mean, I'm glad I didn't <laughs> see too, too much of all the dynamics of her, like the whole stereotypical thing of like, oh, it's a girl and we can't let girls have control over their dating and their whatever. We have to be overprotective and weird and awkward yeah. about her dating. We got a and, lot of whiffs of know. that through the clip mm -hmm. show yeah. of, of the characters trying to be those classically like oh they're the they're the dads who have to like have control over everything in her her life and but they're gonna she's gonna teach them to be she's mature. gonna teach the, yeah she's gonna teach yeah. them a thing or two about that, this thing yeah, called that, life that, that whole problematic trope of like the wise girl who teaches adult men how to <laughs> yeah yeah, and she she does like does all this emotional yeah. labor and like shares her knowledge to yes. a, a grown men who should and, know better. And she is like sitcom pre precocious. Preco yeah, from, she is sitcom from precocious the from the very jump. first line of dialogue. But she, that's just kind of her vibe. Yeah, I enjoy, like I, don't, I enjoyed her. I yeah, of course I did too. Like this is the type of kid that I think. Stacy Keenan naturally was so it's like perfect that she just played these yeah, kind of she precocious. was great she, I could see a lot of comedic potential from her so yeah. you just have to like like pick her up out of this show and drop her into a different show well and they did later on and they, and they did yeah <laughs> all right on that note let's move on now we're just rambling about this <laughs> but those opening titles though yeah, they're so perfect. This was all worth it to me for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let's um, let's uh, move over to our segments. Let's uh, cue sassy saxophone. And now uh, tell us how how this is connected to friends. Well, it's connected like a bunch of different ways. Um. There's like a few obvious like one degree connections. So Giovanni Ribisi, 
or Vani, as he's referred to <laughs> during this era, as I said. He plays Corey on uh, My Two Dads, but he also played Frank Buffet Jr. on Friends. So there's a one degree connection for you. Another one is through Jane Sibbett, who we got to see in the clip show episode. Uh, she's the guest stars on My Two Dads and co-starred um, as a recurring character on Friends, uh, Carol, um, Ross's ex-wife. Um, Michael Lembeck directed both series. Um, which again, like obviously, I don't even know if it's worth bringing up directors anymore because they all just worked on everything in the 90s. Um, and then so we have a couple of different connections through Paul Reiser. So there's the two degree connection of Paul Reiser um, basically going on to be in Mad About You. And he co-starred uh, with Lisa Kudrow, who played Ursula Buffet. And Lisa Kudrow also played Ursula Buffet in Friends, but actually she's more famous and known for playing Ursula's twin sister, Phoebe Buffet. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought we, I thought we banned this connection. Yeah. <laughs> nope. I don't care. I'm a rebel. And then obviously there's like still a one degree connection with Paul Reiser because he actually played his character, Paul Buckman, at, in a brief cameo in an episode of Friends. Hmm. Right, because yeah. these th these are all my two dads seems to also at least a little bit be part of that 19. This is a very early entry into the 1990s 90s, NBC like New York. 30 something in New York television cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's all I wanted felt like getting into. There's probably a lot more, honestly, like based on the, the people that were there, there's probably a lot more. There's probably a lot of guest stars. That popped up in Friends, but yeah. I was like, all right, that's a, quite a few. Now, so. just because it's bugging me, Vani Rabisi, what was the other show that, that we saw him in Um, that we reviewed where we first discovered that he went the by Vani, the name Vani? Was it Davis Rules? Was it? I think it yeah. was Davis Rules. It was Davis Rules. Yeah. Right. He was in a, like all kinds of stuff. He was like a big child actor. No, I know, but I mean specifically the sitcom we reviewed that yeah, had Vani Rabisi. Yeah, I'm pretty Rabisi. sure it was, yeah, yeah. it was Davis Rules. Uh, okay. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, so spinoff time. Right, so, I mean, you guys know what a lot of these people went on to do because a lot of it is huge parts of, like, pop culture in the 90s. Like, uh, But I'll start with our girl, Stacey Keenan. Um, so she had a lot of success as, like, a continued, like, child and teen actor um, after her time on My Two Dads. She... Um, co-starred in another short-lived sitcom called Going Places, which we should probably review at some point. Um, she guest starred on Boy Meets World and Sybil, but I think we know her best as Dana Foster on Step by Step. So she was the brainy, um, kind of abrasive middle, well, actually the oldest daughter of Carol Foster uh, in that show. And that was like such a big show for... <laughs> our age group like it was basically the Brady Bunch of the 90s I think like it wasn't quite as culturally significant as the Brady Bunch but it's that whole idea of a blended family and you know all the kids had different personalities and it has that iconic opening theme of them in the amusement park um a fun fact about Stacey Keenan is she kind of she continued acting until 2010 and 
she went to law school in 2013 in her late 30s and is now an L.A. deputy district attorney and law professor. So I think that's pretty badass and inspiring because she had this whole second act that is like a very intense second act. So everyone out there, it's really never too late to do a career change if you want to and achieve a lot, because like that's like a big deal to not only go to law school, but then to get like a high profile like job in the field. So you're saying I should go to law school? Yeah, apparently. Um, Yeah. And so next we'll move on to Greg Evigan. Um, He has obviously still worked as well. A fun thing that I I saw in his list of credits is he became sort of one of these um, TV movie mainstays, which we've seen a few times now in in exploring this, where they'll kind of like become known for popping up in these movie of the weeks of all genres. So that was like a huge thing for him in the 90s. He also had a recurring role on General Hospital. So he kind of like left the sitcom world after this show. but had like a long career since he still pops up in random tv projects as a guest star and most recently guest starred in the show 911 hmm. paul riser you know he was all over tv when we were kids he co-created and co-starred in the hit sitcom mad about you that we've already talked about at length he is like a very successful producer as well as an actor um he co-starred in movies including The Marrying Man, Mr. White, Bye Bye Love, The Story of Us. Uh, He also appeared in recent movies like uh, Funny, well, Funny People isn't that recent anymore, (laughs) but Horse Girl, he he was in. For TV, he has shown up in Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Romanovs, Fosse Verdon, which I loved, um, The Kaminsky Method, The Boys, reboot which is very sadly like can't not coming back but he was very funny in that show he plays a like like his his role is very funny because he actually plays one of these old school sitcom creators yeah who creates like he's basically like a chuck Lorre, and he's at odds with his daughter who's played by rachel bloom and they're basically creating this reboot of one of his old sitcoms together. So it's like a very meta and fun show. And I'm sad unless maybe another network has grabbed it, but I don't know, but it's, is classic and it had like an incredible cast. So I would love to see it have another life. Uh, He's also um, been on stranger things for a couple seasons as well. He's great on stranger. Yeah. Yeah. He's just classic. Um, And then we've got Florence Stanley, who had already been kind of a, you know, long, very, had a very long successful career leading up to um, being in My Two Dads, but then continued to work in um, many TV shows and films. Some of the films include Bullworth, Trapped in Paradise, The Odd Couple 2, Down with Love. Uh, and then for TV, fun fact, she did the voice of Grandma Ethel on Dinosaurs. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I know. Did isn't that incredible? That. Yeah. Um, I, can he- I can hear it now, yes, too. Yeah. She also popped up in Mad About You. Obviously, she must have had a good relationship with Paul Reiser. Uh, guest starred on Sybil, Dharma and Greg. 
And she worked right up until her death in uh, 2003. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then I'll just shout out like Michael Jacobs, who created this, you know. Yeah, big, he, big, big, big TV guy. Yeah, big TV guy. He went on to create a very important show to at least Barry and I. I know it wasn't as big for Aaron, but Boy Meets World. So, you know, one of the most beloved, uh, you know, teen oh, and yeah. tween sitcoms. Di- Dinosaurs too. Yeah, dinosaurs too. Uh, and um, Girl Meets World, obviously the spinoff of Boy Meets World or the reboot of Boy Meets World, I guess. Uh, and then he also created a couple of short-lived sitcoms, maybe this time, which we covered already. Oh, right. Um, and You Wish, which we should cover. Um, and yeah, but he's like a big deal. And this kind of wacky show didn't really impact anyone in a negative way um also like danielle um danielle alexandra who he collaborated with on this she like went on to write the gi jane movie and is now more of an executive in the industry and other creative industries so she's kind of more in the business side of things but like you know people people find a lot of success these are not failures they're just weird blips in people's careers (laughs) Um, yeah, and then obviously the the other young actors that were in this, like Giovanni Rubisi, um, uh, Chad Allen, and what's her name, Amy Hathaway, they all did a lot of work since then. Um, I I always like remember Chad Allen as the like oldest child on uh, Doctor Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> 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 but yeah, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. I've spun us off. <laughs> I, I I don't know why I they randomly this popped into my head. Uh, after a, a very long career TV wise, uh, Michael Jacobs wrote and directed a movie this year, and I don't think he I don't think he really ever really did that. I, I could be wrong. Like, no, let me it just. It had Diane Keaton. It had Diane Keaton in it. Um, fuck, the fuck was it called? Yeah. Um, let me just see. Let's like pull this up because I looked. I basically scanned his. IMDb. We'll the clean this up in the end. Uh, maybe I do. Maybe I do. Right, right, right. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was I thought that was a really interesting like uh late career like <laughs> late late in his career like twist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe he always wanted to be in the movies, and this was his like he's like oh, I've done a lot of TV. He was big enough. He could have easily jumped if he wanted, but right because I, I mean he did. Fuck. He did Charles in Charge too. That was him. Yeah. Yeah. He was also he, Charles. He's in one of he's one of the big he's wow. one of the big ones. One yeah. of the big ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, basically big ones in the sense that, yeah, we watched all of his shows basically as kids. I, yeah. He's a, I mean, like he was definitely one of those show he was a showrunner in a time when showrunners probably weren't as publicized. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. Now they've become like House, like some of them at least have become household names and it's like one of those things where now you know you get your Shondas yeah. and your uh, and your Ryan Murphy's become a, a brand onto themselves yeah and, and well I mean it's good I'm, I'm glad that that exists but it also gives people a warped concept of what it means to be a TV writer like you know like you know a lot of people have misunderstood the WGA strike and like 
they they think that everyone is like Shonda Rhimes and making like lots mm-hmm. of money. No, that's not the case. It's actually very unstable for a lot of people, especially oh, yeah. in the age of streaming. It's like not, uh, you know, like so it's great that there are these like very successful ones that people know about because it is so important to talk about the people who actually create these things. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, made it seem like they're all these moguls and they're not. Yeah, I, I think I think the, the the people out there, there's a there's a warped perspective of basically it's just anybody who works in Hollywood to a lot of uh, folks seem to they, they think they're like rich, yeah. which is really just not the case. No, no. It, it's like a lot of industries where people there are the like. One percent. There are the you know really wealthy people, and then there's the other people who are struggling to pay their mortgage or their rent or their you know. I saw Alan Ruck gave a really interest, a really good. uh, You know, he was just talking about the the actor strike. Yeah, Uh, and like Alan Ruck would be a really interesting guy because if you think about it, yeah, the guy just came off of an HBO show, uh, and he had a hit movie in the '80s, and then in between. Had so many years of like nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he had a sitcom pop up once every couple of years and then he would be a guest star in one one off episode of something. Yeah. That guy didn't that guy didn't live rich. You no, know, exactly. He might be doing fine now, but I mean, it was a wor- that guy worked his ass off to be exactly to get all there. Right. I mean, he did have a good stint on Spin City. Sure, sure. But like, but, yeah, uh, but, but not like a household name. I think that Alan Ruck should be a household name, yeah. but he was well, not he necessarily. Now. now he is because he played such a funny character on Got a lot Succession. of con heads out there. Yeah, there's Got a, lot a lot of con, of con heads. heads out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like I've always thought that he should have way more flowers than he does. Like he's in- in- always been incredible to me. Mm-hmm. So... But yeah, there are so many people out there in show business that it's not glamorous. It's actually quite like, you know, hand to mouth. And that's why they're out there fighting it, because now it's become even worse. It's become even harder to make a decent well, living. And one of the points mm-hmm. that I've I've seen um, a writer, I can't recall who make in, in relation to the strike is that, you know, it used to be that if you. Uh, if you were a writer on a sitcom, like the kind of shows that we talk about on this podcast, a sitcom season would be anywhere between 22 and 26 episodes. And you might be the main credited writer on only a few episodes, but you're on a retainer and part of the writer's room for that entire time. And you're getting like a cut of residuals for that, for the success of that show. And if that show goes into syndication, then your contributions to that show were actually remunerated. And the fact that you got the gig on that show meant that like, oh, you're like involved in potentially like quite a lot of episodes. Whereas in the streaming world, it's also like these shows, which we love The seasons now, are cut in half. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these shows, which we love, uh, have seasons that I, I've seen some shows. Like eight episodes. As, I've yeah. seen as few as six and not even for a limited miniseries, but for like a series, each season will be six, eight, ten episodes, maybe 13 if you're lucky. And because they are so by design in advance, it's not a thing where you just have a bunch of mm-hmm. writers on retainer for a year. You're writing like your 10 episodes all at once. 
Yeah. It's not like writing week to week, etc. So if someone is hired to work on scripts for two episodes, that's it. They're hired for those two scripts. That's it. Not to be in a room for for 26 weeks, but just to work on a couple yeah. of scripts. And then if that show gets picked up by another streaming service and millions more people watch it, no one ever knows the numbers. No one ever knows the ratings and they get yeah. away with not like, because mm -hmm. if a show went into syndication back in the day, you knew the ratings and yeah. there were actual residuals for it. Yeah. And it's like it, well, it's, that and you control, but they would get paid. They, the residuals were per play in a lot of cases, right? Uh, yeah. Peanuts in, in a lot of cases, but peanuts that added up. Yeah, and those were yeah. You could easily quantify like, well, we re we ran this episode in this thing, and blah 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 blah. And then it became more common, like for stuff like Seinfeld, to get mm -hmm. like yearly compensation for stuff instead of. You know, yeah. quite famously, all the people on Seinfeld, I'm pretty sure they made more in the years following Seinfeld than they did when they were on Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. The last season withstanding because they got yeah. offered a hell of a lot of money for the last two yeah. seasons of yeah. Seinfeld. But, but in general, like, yeah, actors, actors and writers who worked on Seinfeld and Friends mm -hmm. have probably made more, much more money in the years since than mm -hmm. just in the literal days that they spent sitting in a studio working on yeah. the show. Just because of the vast number of times that people have watched those shows and that they were put out on DVD and that that had to be a whole separate set of rights and things like which that doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah. Right. So what 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 doesn't like if a show is made now. Yeah. And it's successful. I mean, maybe DVDs are still being manufactured, but how many yeah. people do you know who are going to go out and buy the succession box set? <laughs> Why the hell would you do that? As a physical media collector, I am affected. I, I, know, I know that as I'm bringing up this point, I can see on the shelf behind you physical media. But um, those are mostly comics. Okay. But I do. I mean, I've, you know, I'm on a 4K Blu-rays these days. You're, so. you're a real DVD daddy. Yeah. Well, I, D, come on, man. I haven't bought a DVD in a decade. That's yeah. that's. Two formats ago, guys. Right. Okay. okay. Well, you're. <laughs> yeah, but it works better for the name. Yeah, but you're like you're... Blu-ray Baron. Blu-ray Barry. Yeah, Blu-ray Blu Barry. Oh, we're talking. Snap. We're talking a Blu-ray Barry here. Yeah. That's that's right. That's what I should have gone by. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. 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 Well, that was my two dads. Let's do a check-in with Mister P before we sign off. Hey, kid, what's the pepper? The pepper? You know, what's shaking pepper, salt and pepper? What, uh, what's happening? Oh, I get it. <laughs> Just finishing up another episode. This week we were talking about My Two Dads. Oh, My Two Dads. Now that was a hell of a program. <laughs> Riser, truly at the top of his game. Peak rise. <laughs> so you were aware of it at the time. Oh, I was a fan. We called ourselves dadheads, or occasionally tubies. <laughs> Were you involved at all? You know, being in the industry this long, sometimes you just gotta stop and admire what the other guy is doing. This show had everything. A lovable <laughs> kid, a curmudgeonly judge, one straight-laced guy, one wacky guy. That's everything? Those are the four things every producer looks for when picking up a new sitcom. <laughs> what about your new show? That's it. 
I don't recall anything about a judge in there. Oh, my God. You're right. Well, when we start things back up, that's going in. A judge. I wonder what Reinhold's up to. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the strikes have been going on a while now. I don't think we've really asked your opinion on everything. I mean, as a producer. Now, kid, I may be a producer, but I am not executive. That was my father. <laughs> I am, above all, a worker. And fighting for the rights of workers is very near and dear to my heart. I've made some appearances down on the lines myself. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, residuals, obviously a major factor here. But we cannot forget the Haley Joel Osment of it all. The what? I mean, sure, a little Haley Joel goes a long way. Kid's a true star. He's 35. But now they want to put Haley Joel everywhere. I don't get it. Sometimes a Haley Joel just wouldn't work, you know? Sometimes you gotta go for a Munez or a young Culkin. And what about the background actors? You're telling me they're all gonna be Haley Joels as well? It's not right, I tell you. What in the hell are you talking about? Oh, God. AI. Haley Joel Osment was in AI, the Spielberg movie. He's talking about AI. <laughs> and they say Haley Joel can even write scripts now. They just feed him some prompts and boom, script. It's not right. Uh... I think maybe you've misinterpreted some of this AI stuff, Mr. P. Maybe you and I should talk about this offline. Offline? What is offline? I'll call you later. Well, I think his heart is in the right place. Yeah, me too. He'll get it someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was... That was show. my that was my two dads. That was that was our episode. I think we successfully proved that it was a show. I mean, it definitely was a show. Yeah. It was a show. Um Cut great to ending. Great an great ending to an episode, guys. <laughs> Top notch. I just 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 awesome. Just, I, get I think more I think we really every time. <laughs> 60, I 63 episodes. I think we really hit our stride on Six these endings. I refuse to let us end it this way. That Was a Show is created and hosted by Bryn Burney, Andrew Barry Helmer, and myself, Aaron Yeager. It's a production of Radio Gizmo in Toronto, Canada. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. Follow us on Instagram and tell your friends about it. That Was a Show? Radio Gizmo.